five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast, where we investigate all the exciting ways in which people participate in the new space economy by conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, investors, and other members of the space family. I'm Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor in and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist. But I am an alumnus of the International Space University, which is also our partner in the podcast. Here's a short message from them. The International Space University, founded in 1987 in Massachusetts, USA, and now headquartered in Strasbourg, France, is the world's premier international space education institution. It is supported by major space agencies and aerospace organizations, ISU offers the Master of Science in Space Studies program at its central campus in Strasbourg. ISU also conducts the highly acclaimed two-month Space Studies program at different host institutions in locations spanning the globe. And more recently implemented the Executive Space Course, the Southern Hemisphere Space Studies program and Commercial Space program. ISU programs are delivered by over 100 ISU faculty members in concert with invited industry and agency experts from institutions around the world. Since its founding 33 years ago, more than 4,800 students and participants from over 100 countries graduated from ISU. Follow us on social media at ISUNet. Our guest on this episode is Vitanus Buzas, the CEO and co-founder of NanoAvionics, a satellite manufacturer originally from Lithuania. These days, they are present in other locations, like the UK and the US. If you have an idea for a space business that requires your own satellites, nowadays, in most cases, it doesn't really make sense to build the satellites yourself. Rather, you outsource that part to a professional satellite integrator, like NanoAvionics. We will hear all about it in this episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Vitanus. So hi, we are here today with Vitanis from NanoAvionics. Hi, Vitanis, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Where are you joining us from today? Um, hi, hi, hello, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to uh, share about our activities. Today, I am in Vilnius, Lithuania. That is where the company is originally from, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, this is correct. The uh, company was originated in Vilnius uh, five years ago in 2014. So most of the people are working from here. Yeah, and I think later we will discuss uh, where, where are our other locations around the world, right? Exactly. I'm looking forward to that because you guys have expanded, which, which is great. So now, as I understand it, so landing of Ionics, um, I'm very happy to have you guys on because you're the first company I have on, which is building satellites, which is very exciting. It's obviously a very important part of the space ecosystem. Now, keeping in mind that some of our audience are not you know, deep space experts, when people think about building satellites, you know, often they think about just like you know, big aerospace companies like Airbus or Lockheed building very big satellites, very expensive satellites. Right. And I think that's a little bit different in NanoAvionics case. So you want to give us sort of the summary of what the company is doing? Yes, of course. Uh, 
you're right. Uh, we are a little bit different. Um, the companies you mentioned are so-called old space companies, big companies. Uh, they are following rather classical understanding of what is what is satellite and uh, in our minds uh let's say in 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 regular minds i mean as we understand the satellite um um is uh, like a big thing like like a car uh the weight is like more than two tons or something a very expensive machine etc um, so, um, yes, this is, this is the old space and, uh, our company is following so-called new space philosophy. Uh, new space philosophy is, um, is a different understanding what is satellite and in new space world, the satellite is small, um, robust, agile, uh, easy to build, easy to build fast and, uh, relatively well, maybe cheap is not the right word, but optimal cost. And uh, in our case, we're building satellites, which are, I don't know, maybe 100 times smaller than, than Airbus or Boeing um, satellites. And uh, our task is to launch a lot of them. I mean, tens or even hundreds of them. And we are helping our customers to do so. Uh, one, of the, one of the key things is, um, as I mentioned, that, the satellites we are building are small. So let's say 10 to 50 kilograms per satellite. And uh, the, the, the essence is to launch the quantity of them, um, the big quantity of them. So, so we have better coverage. We have real-time coverage. I mean, covering entire globe of the earth. So this is so-called new space and uh, the industry and and this this concept is uh, re relatively young it was invented roughly 15 years ago and uh, we're very happy uh, that uh, we have discovered a few let's say a few novel things uh, a few innovative things um, how to enter this market how to go into this market and we offered some let's say, um, innovative things, how to make those small satellites, those nano satellites, um, closer to, the, uh, to, to, to their bigger counterparts in terms of functionality and reliability. Because, I mean, uh, we don't have to forget that our customers are demanding and they want... Uh, they want um, Pretty serious onboard resources. I mean, electric power resources, communication resources, and uh, and um, let's say volume for their payload, so they can be sure that they can do um, business based on on that constellation, on on, on that big number of nano satellites we're building. And just to under, unpack this a little bit. So if I understand it correctly, you guys would basically do everything probably except the final payload of the customer. So like except the communications radio, if it's a satellite communications company or the sensors, if it's an earth observation company, is that correct? Yes, this is correct. I could give you an example. Um, from this perspective, from the business perspective, we are, um, we are airplane manufacturer uh, like, uh, like, uh, 
like like regular airliner manufacturer i mean in at this point none of the contemporary airliners manufacturers like boeing like airbus they are not taking care about the well um transportation i mean transportation of the passengers transportation of the of the cargo etc they sell their product they sell their airplanes to to those guys who are running the airlines for example to to SAS to Lufthansa to to Finnair to 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 Delta etc so from this perspective we are exactly like those guys but we are building satellites and we are selling those satellites as a vehicles to those guys who want to do business based on them and uh, for that reason they are building the payloads themselves and and the payload the variety of the payloads are pretty broad starting with earth observation and finishing with telecommunication scientific payloads uh, fundamental research etc so yes we are not building the payloads but we are building nano satellites as a vehicles so if i can expand on your analogy to the the airframe builders like like boeing or airbus now yes. with boeing or airbus actually one thing is that at least these days um, many of the components of the aircraft would actually come from third parties so like the engines would come from like like rolls royce or pratt and whitney how is that with you guys do you guys source external components as well or do you actually build most of the subsystems or any of the subsystems in-house the model is um has some similarities actually um first of all our company is a design uh, well design bureau i mean we are doing a design we do necessary research of course we 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 try to avoid as much as possible uh, going into the research because uh, well research institutions are 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 Uh, are having this task this problem so in our case uh, the research we do is rather um how we will apply certain certain uh, certain decisions certain technologies but yes so let's say we build uh, we create the design then we outsource manufacturing in some cases yes we are purchasing uh thrusters for example uh well in other words ro rocket engines uh, small rocket engines to propel the satellites if needed uh we buy some communication subsystems we buy for example solar cells and uh, from those solar cells we buy we assemble solar arrays um so i i i should say that quite a significant part of the subcomponents are being bought from the third parties then we are doing integration in, integration in house i mean we purchase those parts they're being manufactured by the third parties then those parts are coming back home to us we assemble them we integrate them and then we do functional testing after functional testing of course we do all all of the necessary um, testing campaign uh, environmental testing thermal vacuum etc etc so yes i mean uh, to answer your question uh, i can say that yes we have some similarities because significant part of the components uh, is being purchased from the third parties and in terms of integrating various types of components i mean these days how much flexibility really exists 
And what I mean by that is, for example, on, on, on one end, I guess a sort of very, very ambitious end, sometime in the future, I guess we could have something that could be something like a, let's call it a fully modular satellite, right? Where you just have the basic bus and then you plug in whatever uh, subsystem from whatever supplier um, exists and it kind of automatically fits and interconnects correctly. But I assume we're nowhere near that. So how, how is the situation at the moment? Well, actually... This is a very interesting angle uh, you just uh, touched. And uh, this is one of uh, key aspects distinguishing us from our competitors. We, are, um, we want to see ourselves there. I mean, we want to see ourselves there where we have, let's say, at least the basic hardware standard, where we have at least the basic software standard. And we tweak something um, accordingly to, to the to, to the variation of, of 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 different payloads, but our goal is to have a baseline as standard as possible, because um, we believe in 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 well in that so so called new space approach where we have a lot of satellites flying in orbit where where they are something similar to to the mobile phone we have today. And actually, we are now uh, doing some experiments uh, similar to to the applications of the mobile phone. And where, let's say, uh, of course, all of our customers are unique. They have uh, unique um, uh, instruments, unique payloads. And of course, um, we want to simplify the process, simplify the process of integrating those different payloads into our buses and to make it more cost-effective. For that reason, actually, um, we are now doing some experiments with uh, software applications where we have to tweak only a certain part of the of the software, uh, but not the entire software of the satellite. So this is the approach we have. Uh, of course, in the real world, it will never be standardized uh, 100%. Something have to be changed uh, always uh, because, you know, this is not only software, this is a huge part of hardware and that hardware must work reliable, uh, must, must be reliable uh, because the well, space environment is, is harsh. So, of course, maybe we will not have in the future fully standardized buses, but significant part of, 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 of the bus of the, of the vehicle will be standard and we will be tweaking uh, less and less hardware and software to accommodate different, um, different payloads. And on the, on the component side, do you see any sort of exciting changes on the exciting new technologies? I think many times when we think of satellites, we think that sort of the, the non-payload parts, um, you know, haven't changed that much, that they've been around for a long time. For example, you mentioned thrusters. And so I guess, you know, typically it's either some sort of chemical thruster with hydrazine or something like that, or an electrical thruster, which is a, you know, Hall effect thruster, which also has been around for a long time. But that's just as an example. Do you, do you see anything that's changing in basic satellite design? Well, actually, a lot of things are changing. And I believe that uh, our company contributes to that, to those changes. But the, the, I think the most exciting thing is, 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 is general, 
maturity and complexity of the of the of the global technology of the electronics and mechanics i mean i started uh, to 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 dig in to this business like 11 years ago it was around 2009 <clears throat> so by then i mean i remember what kind of microcontrollers uh, we were able to choose for for space applications i mean like I'm, I'm keep, I'm, I have in mind those industrial ones. I mean, not, not, not let's say, uh, classical old space, uh, really complex and, and really expensive uh, um, microcontrollers. But I'm talking here about the industrial grade, automotive grade, uh, for example, microcontrollers. And for those last 11 years, they changed dramatically. And I mean, functionality, integrity, um, reliability changed dramatically and and this is a really good thing for us for companies like like ours and and for nanoavionics in particular because having the same volume we can we can do much much more than ever before i mean from the perspective of functionality from the um computational power on board from the sa- having the same volume um we have like many times more functional and more powerful electronics they are getting more and more power efficient actually and uh, well it's a it's a really exciting thing i mean because you know those small satellites those those cubesats as 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 they were called before um few years ago they can they can now in some cases they can compete with 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 bigger satellites with 100 or 200 kilogram platforms of course it's it's not there yet but it's coming i mean and the general um it, let's say evolution of 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 the of the technologies of the electronics is helping us to make to build uh more and more competitive uh, nano satellites and that's the famous trend of the miniaturization of components that you're mentioning which as as you say, of course, it's very important because it allows you to have more capability or the same capability in, in a much smaller space. And also, I suppose, yeah. for, for less weight and weight, of course, um, equals cost yeah. because, because of the, the launches. So building on that, um, when we, while we're speaking about satellite size, what are the kind of typical sizes of satellites, um, satellite buses you guys are manufacturing? And you mentioned the um, the, the CubeSat standard and for, for people who are listening who may not know. So that's something that I think was developed about 10 years ago by a couple of professors in the US and basically uh, a CubeSat and the measure here being 1U is a, is, is a cube with a um, side length of 10 centimeters. Yes, yes, that's correct. Um, this standard uh, called CubeSat was was invented like, I think now it's even a bit more than 10 years ago, but it's around around, around that. And um, it was invented to, to make the access, space access for, for students, for, for higher grade students easier. So if you standardize something, I mean, you define certain rules and uh, people around the world, uh, around the world uh, start to follow those rules and launch providers can start to follow those rules and it's much easier um, to access the space, it's much much easier to integrate, let's say, that small satellite called CubeSat with a launch vehicle. And um, someday, it's uh, the price starts uh, starts to go down. 
So, yes, uh, we joined that club a couple of years ago. And uh, we found that following this trend is really convenient from from some perspective but um, our goal was to make the hardware much more functional so i mean something like beyond the cubesat something beyond the university let's say students educational experiment we wanted to um to pump the muscle, in other words, of, 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 of that CubeSat so it could be aligned with uh, demanding requirements of, of commercial customers. And uh, yeah, this, this, this was our goal. And uh, let's say we follow that uh, standard shape. So we combine our uh, nanosatellites out of those cubes, roughly telling. So... Um, Today, the main workhorse we have is six units. Six units means that we have six cubes combining the, the, sat, the satellite bus. So the, the dimensions uh, are roughly 10 by 20 by 30 centimeters. But also we have um, a few options of a bit bigger nanosatellites. So now we have uh, six, 12, and 16 units. And the mass range of 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 of, um, of those three main products we have is starting with six kilograms and finishing with roughly twenty five something like this. And the six unit size would be, if I'm not mistaken, a relatively typical size for for Earth observation applications, for example. Six. Uh, uh, Six units in some cases, of course, m might be a bit too small, but 12 or 16 units is, is I mean, it um, unlocks really nice capabilities for Earth observation. And now we have a few missions, uh, well, a few serious missions where people are using 12 or 16 units uh, and they can put uh, their inside really nice optics. So, for example, yeah, 16 units, uh, the size of 16 units is roughly 20 by 20 um, by 40 centimeters. And, uh, and it's really unlocks really nice capabilities, actually. And that would weigh about 20, 25 kilograms, a 16-year unit? Yes, 20, 25 roughly. It may go up, up to 30 in some cases. I mean, yeah, but this is this is a rough estimation of, of, of how heavy it could be. And I know this is not an easy question, but sort of on, on average, excluding the payload, what, what would a 16U bus like that cost? Roughly a few hundred thousand euro. Okay. And then I suppose if we were talking, um, let's say 20 kilograms and the uh, the current advertised um, ride share price on the SpaceX Falcon is $5,000 a kilogram. So that'd be like another $100,000 or a little bit more for, for the launch. Okay. So yeah, you're talking basically a few hundred thousand euros in total, maybe yeah, half a yeah, million and, euros. And this is a really nice thing, actually. One, another one aspect, which is driving this market really positive, um, the prices of the launch. <clears throat> if let's say... Ten years ago, you you couldn't let's say plan uh, to launch uh, the CubeSat or or I don't know maybe two or three units CubeSat 
um, paying less than 250,000 euros. So now, I mean, for for the same price, you can you can launch 12 or 16 um, units uh, satellite. So this is a really really strong driver for the market, really strong and positive driver because the access is getting easier and at the same time is it is getting much much cheaper which is really important for for people who want to do business and who want to make sure that they will have uh, well positive return on their investment absolutely and then so the next question would be what kind of customers you guys have i mean we already mentioned some of them like you know the earth observation but sort of what what big groups of customers do you see I think uh, I think um, yeah, there are some. We can see now some segmentation between the groups of the customers. I would say a huge group, around seventy percent, is telecommunication related. Of course, telecommunication under under telecommunication, we have those magical words, IoT, Internet of Things, and M2M, machine to machine communication. Uh, so roughly telling, they belong to the same group, telecommunication. Then we have around 20% Earth observation and roughly remaining 10% in orbit demonstration, technological or scientific missions. Okay. And if you kind of think across the board of the customers that you have or you have seen or that companies that may have approached you with certain use cases in space has there been anything that that you were really excited about that you thought was really cool well i could say that me personally i'm really excited about uh, i'm really excited about all of the customers we have um i really appreciate that uh, serious customers are coming and uh, they trust they trust us uh they trust that they can uh, build their business on on the buses we build, um, and I'm really happy about that. So I'm 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 I mean I'm talking seriously. All of those guys are really important for us, and really big companies are coming, and uh, well, companies, institutions, actually, uh, even space agencies um, <clears throat> around the globe, and I'm really excited and. Uh, let's say every single customer is is unique and every single customer has really unique requirements and brings really really interesting engineering tasks engineering problems to solve i mean to accommodate to to customize the bus a little bit and of course uh, mission requirements are different the different orbits etc so it's i mean honestly i mean all of the customers makes our days to be really really exciting yes and of course we're, we're grateful for having all of these different uh, space entrepreneurs building up the um the space ecosystem so i think though most of the applications we've been talking about so far they are probably substantially all focused in you know what's called lower of orbit have you guys ever done anything beyond lower of orbit like any for example like a science mission in, in deep space or anything like that yeah through the history we had uh, we had a couple of really interesting requests. Um, we were talking about lunar missions, uh, lunar flyby missions. Um, there were, well, we were running a few studies um, 
Also, we were running a few studies uh, based on GTO and geo orbits. Um, also, we were involved, but not really, well, significantly into, into, into deep space missions. But in the near future, I think we will have um, a few things flying into GTO at least. Of course, uh, environment there is is is, is really different. Um, the good thing is uh, our hardware. When when we were back in the days when we were designing our hardware, we were thinking that one day someone will come and ask us to to go beyond lower Earth orbit. And uh, well, we see that 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 day is coming actually, um, and we are getting ready for that. And yes, some really exciting missions are coming. Um, of course, going to GTO, to GEO, for example, are rather scientific missions than commercial because most of the commercial missions are now uh, focused towards LEO up to 800 kilometers uh, of altitude. Uh, but yeah, there are a few really interesting things which are coming. As you mentioned, and that's part of the reason I asked the question, the environment, the further out you go, gets gets very different, especially once you go outside of the, the Van Allen belts, basically the yeah. protective magnetosphere of, of the Earth, when I suppose you will probably need very different type of equipment that's, for example, radiation harmed in, in some cases. So is that something that you guys have, have looked at, or where do you think the, sort of the, the status of that is? Yeah, so... Today, our hardware is so-called, uh, well, falls under the group, which is called radiation tolerant. Um, of course, if you go above uh, Van Allen belts, you have to have a different type of, of, the, of the hardware, which, which is called radiation hard. Um, so at this point, we, we have a few, let's say, well, clever or smart ways how we can solve or how we can how we can go with the hardware we have, we are using now day to day. But of course, some of the things must to be changed uh, because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, radiation environment is different. Um, magnetic environment is different. So attitude control system navigation is different there. Um, going, going, going much, much higher. So, yeah. But this is a really niche thing, and uh, well, we are getting ready. We are, let's say, um, we are we are getting ready to 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 have a couple of those interesting missions. Cool. And so, if you kind of look across the board of like you know the customers you have right now, what's in the pipeline? What you guys think will come into the pipeline in the future? Where do you see the satellite market at large going? Because there's obviously all of these, you know, different projections out there. And let, let's leave aside the mega constellations like, you know, the Starlink, SpaceX and the Amazon Kuiper for the moment, because they're obviously doing their things in-house. Where do you see the rest of the market going, for example, in terms of, um, in terms of the size? Is it like the 6 to 16 new you guys are focusing on? And, and, and also, do you guys have a sense of like rough numbers, like how many thousands or tens of thousands of satellites we might get to like in the next few years um i am i am i mean i'm 100 percent certain that future satellite will be small and will we uh, it will be hyper functional and hyper powerful 
Uh, the question when, it's really difficult to answer because uh, for the last years we saw that uh, some of the predictions um, were too early. Some of them, you know, the timing was a bit maybe too late. Um, but the general trend, general paradigm is, is, is shifting towards, towards reducing the size and increasing the complexity and increasing the functionality and reliability. So this is 100% certain. When it will happen, this is a really serious question because um, many economic factors are driving this question, technological factors are driving this question. Um, still, many things must to be developed and development requires time and money. I mean, you have to fuel... You have to fuel the progress, um, and it will take time because um, back in the days we wanted uh, to to do something unique uh, to to distinguish ourselves among our well respected competitors actually because there are quite a few of the companies which which made a really really great job like ten years ago or something. And actually, you know, we were learning from, from them. Maybe we were customers of, of those companies back in the days. But now the, uh, the, the, um, the reality is changing and the future, first, let's say, first step into that future is, is, is here. It's coming. And we are now talking, as you mentioned, about the mega constellations, etc. But the next step, it might take 10 years. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Um, but the satellites are decreasing in, in their size, but increasing in their functionality and in their capabilities. So this is the, the general thing, what is, what is happening right now. And for example, our company is one of those companies, uh, or, or, um, or let's say, um, which, is, which is really strongly pursue uh, towards, uh, well, towards let's say these two critical aspects i mean uh, decreasing size and increasing capabilities understood and you know as we have mentioned and it sounds like you agree still within a certain time frame we expect those numbers of the satellites the absolute number in especially in north orbit to grow quite dramatically and there's actually an increasing concern of course, about uh, space debris and the dangers from space debris. Is that something you guys are also thinking internally about? And for example, has that also had already repercussions in satellite design? I, I don't know, for example, are, are people now using more propulsion where historically they would have not necessarily like put in a propulsion unit or is there other modifications in satellite design because of uh, space debris? Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Also, yes. To answer your question, I mean, even even judging from our pipeline, if, if all of our customers will turn to be successful in, in the in the upcoming future, I know maybe two or three years. So I think our company alone, theoretically, of course, uh, would will need to build thousands of of the of the of the nano satellites. Of course, this is theory. I mean, um, but the reality will be different. Maybe I mean, if if it will be like a few hundreds of of satellites, I think we will. Uh, we will we will do a nice business and uh, we will be able to consider these upcoming years as a really really successful years. 
Um, but talking about the space debris problem and question, um, let's say tools to, 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 to solve this problem are also here. And some of our customers, for example, requiring to, require to have <clears throat> a functionality of the orbiting. And we can do the orbiting in, a, in, a, in a various ways. So let's say two most popular ways is a propulsion system. So the thruster, uh, electric, chemical, cold gas, or, 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 or other types of, of let's say, <clears throat> uh device which can propel <clears throat> the the nano satellite and the second um second device let's say which is also becoming really popular is um huge deployable um sails so yeah these devices can help to deorbit the satellite and uh, in some cases of course it depends on on the on the mission requirements and on the available volume on the satellite, we can choose, let's say, two of these options. And there are, if, if let's say, we could also discuss in, well, you know, more broadly, but there are some also quite a number of other devices who could do, who could help um, to perform controlled re-entry or the orbiting of the satellite after after let's say it it, it finish its mission sure i just i guess also the tethers and all sorts, tethers, sorts of things yeah. but but let's say that's a for a separate episode that's a whole episode by itself the space debris yeah. discussion i suppose um, but you reminded me of a couple of questions i wanted to ask when you were mentioning your your your, your pipeline um, so one thing i forgot to ask is i asked you about the price but um, I didn't ask about the time frame. So, you know, if I have a you know good idea for, let's say, an Earth observation concept now, and I um, I know where I'm getting the payload from, or the payload is even ready, it's like how quickly can you get a, a satellite ready? Um, yes, and uh, there are here a couple of aspects. Let's say satellite alone, as a as a as a piece of hardware, as a device. We could build like in a, well, I think in, in a couple of months, two months, like, you know, six weeks or eight weeks, something like that. Uh, if we're talking about the standard bus, but we have quite a number of aspects around that satellite as a, as a, as a device, as a, as a piece of hardware. We have uh, frequencies regulation. We have to file for the frequencies. We have to get the permission to use the frequencies in orbit. Then we have to agree with the launch provider when and from where we are going to launch that satellite. Then if we are take, taking into equation some certain orbital parameters, so we are narrowing down our windows of opportunity to, uh, to launch uh, the satellite as soon as possible. Um, because, you know, let's say if we have, if we need to go into some specific orbit, it's, if it's not like, well, most popular orbits like, uh, low inclination, I mean, ISS orbit, International Space Station orbit, or Sun Synchronous orbit, if we have to go somewhere in between, it will take us time to accommodate that launch. Uh, then, of course, let's say we assume that your payload is ready, <clears throat> so... We have to integrate your payload 
with a bus, <clears throat> with a satellite. We have to run um, qualification testing and acceptance testing. So it will take us a couple of, couple of, of weeks, weeks more. So from the realistic perspective, um, of course, yeah, I forgot. Then we have to set up a ground station network um, or, or you're okay maybe with a, just a single ground station somewhere in your location or in our. So <clears throat> having these, um, all of these parameters um, together, realistically, we will need around 12 months from, from the day we sign the contract until the day the satellite is in orbit. But I'm here talking a bit optimistically, um, but it's, let's say, it's, it's, it's pretty realistic. I mean, r realistically optimistic. So let's say <clears throat> it will require 12 months, roughly. You mentioned that some parts of the mission there, like um, you know, book, booking the launch and, and setting up ground stations. Is, is that something you guys actually would get involved in, or did you just mention that as part of the, the general process? Yes, uh, this is a part of, um, of what we do. Um, we, well, Nanoavionics was started as, um, as a, well, supplier of the components, but, uh, very, very soon we realized that it's too late for us to step into this market as a supplier of the components because our, our, our colleagues were there, were there already with a very nice products. So we started to think, um, how we can distinguish ourselves from those guys in order to do a successful business. And we decided to narrow down our activities and to integrate them vertically. So we build the bus, we integrate the payload, we arrange the frequencies, or at least we help with, uh, with, uh, with uh, international organizations which are responsible, uh, uh, responsible for frequencies regulation. Then we help our customers to arrange a launch vehicle or we are taking care ourselves. Then we integrate the satellite with the launch vehicle. And finally, we commission the satellite once it is in orbit. And then we agree with our customer whether our customer wants to use his own uh, ground stations or his, uh, he wants to use our ground stations or he wants to be compatible with uh, one of the commercial ground station networks. For example, our partner KSAT, um, which has really nice network around the globe. Our satellites are compatible with that commercial ground station network. So you can have, I mean, really nice uh, near real time and near global coverage um, ground station network. So which is important for any commercial customer. So, yes, I mean, to answer the, the, this question shortly, we can help with a lot of things, but most of them are related with logistics, with, uh, um, with, uh, with formal things. And from the hardware perspective, we build one product, which is, let's say, easy to realize, easy to understand. This is a satellite bus. I mean... We can help with components. We can help with even maybe sometimes with a payload. But our workhorse is a six-unit bus, 12-unit and 16-unit buses. And uh, we help with all of the logistics which are around that satellite um, until it gets into the orbit, fully operational, 
and uh, working. So this is this is let's say roughly the model of what we are doing. Cool. And the last question I wanted to ask you about sort of the, the general topic of, of, of customers and services. We're still recording this in the time of coronavirus and, and COVID. Have you guys seen any tangible impacts of that, for example, in terms of, I don't, I don't know, like delayed orders, things like that? We had some delays, um, but uh, those were not really significant because the, the period... Um, Let's say the, the the business time frame, the business period <clears throat> since since we we signed the contract until we delivered the bus and we integrated with a, with a customer's payload is 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 relatively long. And uh, yes, we had a few months of 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 uncertain uncertainties, uh, maybe even a couple of weeks of of of, of small global chaos. But so far, we are very happy that. We don't feel the impact. Maybe we don't feel it yet because uh, our business period is relatively long. I mean, it's not like one one week turnover. I mean, we sign the contract, we deliver the product, we get let's say we get the payments, etc. The customer is happy, or we have to we have to adjust something, or we have to fix something. It's not like one week period. It's like one year period. So, you know, in this scale, those couple of months. Um, Maybe it's too short period uh, for us to feel the impact yet. Maybe we will feel it a bit later. But uh, from what we have right now, I can say that we're very happy because, I mean, we we were accelerating our activities. We even expanded uh, our company a little bit. We hired around seven new people uh, during this period. So, I mean, also we, we signed a few new contracts with uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a serious customers for, for, for relatively big programs. So in general, I'm happy. So far, everything seems to, seems to, seems to be really, really nice and good. But of course, we have to be careful. We have to be aware of the potential bumps we can we can have in in the in the midterm so yeah that, that makes sense um, let's change tack a little bit so one sort of general macro question i want to ask you is you know if, if we all agree that in the future there's going to be uh, much larger numbers of satellites again we started this call you know describing how historically satellites you know were very big there actually were not there were not a lot of them being manufactured it was almost sort of like one by one manufacturing yeah and clearly the sector is now moving towards something that's almost like um you know like a production line continuous manufacturing i mean mm -hmm. certainly the large constellations like starlink um now if you look at other high-tech products uh, They're, they're being manufactured mostly in you know certain locations, low-cost countries like Taiwan, highly automated. It doesn't seem like we have reached that status yet with satellites, but do you think that's where we're going? Um, let's say satellites for, for most of our customers are being built around the European Union as today. Let's say majority of them. We also we also expanded uh, into United States, uh, into United Kingdom. Uh, but let's say now, as as uh, as of today, uh, we build most of our satellites 
in European Union because most of our customers are geographically located, uh, well, closer, geographically closer to European Union than, for example, to the United States. Um, what we've done, actually, we applied uh, a lot of rules, how we manufacture, how we control the quality, the rules which are coming from automotive industry. And uh, let's say our guys from the design perspective, I mean, design engineering staff is coming from the aerospace industry, but manufacturing staff, um, logistics staff is coming from the automotive industry and uh, mobile industry. So it's, it's, you know, combining all of these things together gives a really interesting picture. But, you know, from our perspective, from, from how we organize our logistics and our business, I should say that it's not, let's say, time to, to have manufacturing, too much of manufacturing equipment in-house. We can hire uh, guys who are manufacturing parts. I mean, millions of pieces of parts per you know, per month or, or per, per, per year or even maybe per week. Uh, so we can have uh, most of the advantage uh, combining uh, the experience those, those guys are having. Um, also, we have a context of, well, relatively not really huge quantities of subcomponents or buses to be manufactured, let's say, per one year. And then uh, we still have a very nice combination of the uh, fixed expenses. I mean, fixed expenses for running that manufacturing machinery. So, I mean, we follow industrial industrial rules i mean uh, mass manufacturing rules quality control etc we we were working quite 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 a lot actually to uh, eliminate human factor out of that manufacturing chain i should say that we are pretty strongly automated company from this perspective um but you know pretty strongly automated but at the same time quality control and um yeah mostly quality control is really strict uh because well yeah you cannot fix it once you, you once you launch the once once you launch the satellite to orbit so yeah i could i i i should say that uh, we are significantly automated company Cool. And to bring it back to from the general industry towards uh, nanoavionics, you mentioned already you're a few years old. You started in Lithuania, but now you have several locations. So where where are you guys now? Yeah, so we have now two locations in the United States. Um, our investor, uh, AST and Science, is located in Texas. So uh, we have a location there and also... Uh, let's say sales and engineering support office uh, uh, is located in St. Louis. Um, also, we have an office in the United Kingdom. Uh, it is located in Harvell campus. So these are, let's say, main locations of nanoavionics. And of course, the, today, the most of the brain power is concentrated in, in Lithuania, Vilnius. 
Okay, and so a couple of questions following from that. Are you currently hiring at any of those locations? All of them. I mean, in all of them, we are hiring people currently. That's great to hear in the current environment. So I assume people can go to your website and the, the jobs are probably listed there, right? Yes, 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 exactly. Cool. And then the other follow-up question is, um, which I was going to ask you anyway, you, you mentioned uh, your strategic investor, AST and Science. They've obviously been quite prominently in the news themselves recently yeah. because they received a very sizable, I think, $100 million financing round um, substantially yeah. to ex execute on a on, on Space Mobile, which is a service that basically allows um, regular mobile handsets to communicate via satellites. So how did that original deal, I think it was in 2018, how did you originally get together with AST and Science? What, what was the rationale there and how are you guys working together now? Mm, yeah, so actually uh, uh, the, guy, the guy who approached us was uh, Abel Avalon himself. I think it was 2017 something and uh, we've got an email from him and then we had a really long and nice uh, conversation by phone. Um, AST was incorporated by then and uh, they were looking for a relatively young, still a bit smaller, but uh, high potential nano satellite company to incorporate into the entire group because those guys were having plans uh, as they revealed now, I mean, as you mentioned about the mobile, space mobile, etc. So that was really interesting conversation. Um, we were, um, yeah, we were working by then with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, well, regular business as we have today, of course. Um, by then, it was much, much earlier stage. And uh, Bell came uh, with other guys from AST and Science, and we had a really constructive conversation. And uh, yeah, they decided to, uh, to, to, to do an investment into nanoavionics. And of course, from the company, for the company from, from Europe, uh, to have a partner, well, a relatively big partner from United States, it is really, really important in order to be capable to enter U.S. market, because U.S. market is 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 is, is a really big market. It's it's mature market. Uh, the customer, let's say, the standard customer is uh, is really very well educated and uh, demanding. So that helped us a lot, and we're really happy that uh, you know uh, that day came and uh, we were able to find a very nice. Uh, a way for our collaboration. Great. And so following on from that, if, if you were to look like, I don't know, five, 10 years in the future, what's, what's your vision of the company? What do you want Nano Avionics to look like going forward? Yeah. So if we look forward, we see ourselves, our ambition is um, um, Nano Satellite wor World Leader. And uh, we will be working with uh, with our uh, current customers and uh, quite a few of them will turn into into those mega constellations so from one perspective uh the future or the the future roadmap seems to be pretty clear um, because we have all of the necessary components um which are now working as a fundamentals 
for our future today. And yeah, 10 years perspective is a really, uh, really from, from one perspective is a, is a, is a long time. Uh, from another perspective, it's uh well, it will, it will, it will pass really fast, but, uh, Personally, I'm very excited to see what technologies will be invented generally uh, within those 10 years and uh, what technologies we will be able to apply for the satellites. And uh, I have no doubt the future is really bright, interesting, and uh, um, and the business uh, will, will, will bring really nice results. That, that ties nicely into my, almost my last question, um, okay. which, which I always ask. So if you weren't doing nanoavionics, but assuming you're still generally excited about the space sector, is, is there something specific, some specific opportunity you would pursue? And for example, it could be something like a space application that you think people are doing, but that none of your customers are doing so far. Actually, uh, back in the days, of course, uh, with our early investors, we were we were discussing and we were planning what other directions uh, we could take. I should say I'm very happy that we decided to go into this business, but not into application business or or other kind of the business, um, because um, you know. Um, as we as we have uh, as we have uh, well uh, a, a small joke today nano business based on nano satellites we could compare with the gold rush and uh, in that gold rush nanoavionics is a company who is building picks and shuffles so our business line is re- is is certain and it's certain that uh, we will benefit from that gold rush so I'm really happy that uh, we decided uh, more than five years ago, much more than five years ago, uh, we decided to go into this direction. Excellent. And then the final question, which, which I always ask is, do, do you like science fiction? And if yes, what are your favorite books or f- movies or TV shows? Well, the, the answer to this question is obvious. Star Wars. <laughs> so actually star wars is a uh, is uh, is uh, is a part of our culture uh of course uh recent years we 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 had uh, new releases of 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 new series of the star wars around the christmas time so the day when uh, star wars new star wars movies being released is like uh day off for the entire company and we go to the cinema to watch the movie and to have dinner, actually. So, I mean, this is uh, this is uh, this is the ultimate winner for myself uh, when talking about the science fiction. But uh, let's say if talking if talking from the broader perspective, uh, yeah, I'm a fan from the from the young days of uh, any kind of the movies related with. Uh, with uh, space exploration, I mean, interplanetary flights, etc. But from the book's perspective, last year's my favorite books are rather 
maybe not the science fiction or, or, or something similar to that, but books related with, uh, with finances. I mean, I'm, it's kind of my hobby to, to study the economy from some perspective. So I would say, yeah, maybe it's a, it's, it, it might look a bit strange from the, you know, hobby perspective or, 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 or free time perspective, but, uh, yeah, my favorite books are related to financial markets and, uh, you know, economic sciences, etc. just to help. I mean, from, from, from some perspective to help to predict what will happen in the future and where we have to drive our business. I got to ask you, is your, is your background engineering or business or something else? Um, my background is uh, aerospace engineering uh, and uh, robotics, mechatronics. Okay, so this is kind of a typical space founder background. So for me, who has a business and finance background and who invests in the space sector, I'm always very happy to hear when the, the engineering founders also take an interest in the business side, because that is, of course, very important. Vitanis, thank you yeah. so much for, for your time and uh, very exciting to hear about the company and, and uh, also about... Um, Star Wars and that you're having the Star Wars parties. I hope you guys are going to continue that forever. And, uh-huh. and maybe one day you guys can um, convince some customer to, to build like some satellite that looks like an X-Wing fighter or a TIE fighter uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your interest. It is really, really, really interesting to, to have this kind of the discussions. And I'm really excited uh, to have such a nice conversation with you. That's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting the podcast at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, And that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or are interested in being a sponsor, or really anything else, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. That's it. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.